Hello, my name is Shaden, and welcome back to my podcast, which is not really a teaching or a sermon, rather a collection of things that I've been learning through curiosity and wonder of being a child of the Most High. In the last episode, I talked about my struggle concerning debilitating anxiety, panic, insomnia, and how a shift of perspective led me from fear to freedom and into deeper levels of intimacy and higher levels of authority in the kingdom. So this episode, I'm going to focus on the part of intimacy. And here's another disclaimer. I am not giving any advice to anyone who is suffering with mental illness. This is what I've learned through my own journey of panic, anxiety, and insomnia. If you're suffering with any type of mental illness, please seek professional help, which is exactly what I did. And that's probably the only advice I will give you. All right, so back to intimacy. It's not that I never had intimacy with the Almighty. The problem was intimacy was no longer my priority. Instead, that priority became about being a good Christian. Because in the last 10 years, I got a degree from a Christian college. I was a missionary in Tijuana. I was a youth pastor on Kauai. I, I am currently a missionary in Malawi. I'm a good Christian because I don't get drunk. I don't do drugs. I don't have sex or watch porn. I don't steal or kill. I'm a good Christian because I preach and I teach the word and I read the Bible and I memorize scriptures and I do a bunch of Christian stuff, right? I was doing all the good Christian things, but the actual pursuit of knowing God was almost non-existent. I knew a lot about God, but I spent little to no time getting to know God personally. And through these months, God has taught me that He doesn't care about my Christianity. Because above all, God wants me. He wants me to do my purpose of which He created me to do, which is to worship Him. What's important is not my moral behavior or the things that I've done in Jesus's name or the projects or programs. God is more concerned about my desire to dwell with him than my ability to be a good Christian. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe faith without works is dead. Action and lifestyle is extremely important. But if intimacy is lacking, then everything you do for Jesus is rubbish. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, it states that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And I apologize because this is going to sound really rude. But in Hebrew, that word filthy rags actually means a cloth that is used to clean the bodily fluids of a woman's menstrual cycle. Which I believe today it means we are in trouble if we make that priority about being a good Christian rather than fulfilling the purpose of which we were created. Jesus was killed on the cross for a reason, and I strongly believe that reason goes deeper than our ability to live like a Christian for 90 years. If God is outside of time, and if we are made in His image, why would our divine purpose ever be restricted to time? We were created for something that should last for eternity, and Jesus came to realign that sole purpose of our creation, which again is for us to worship God at an intimate level. Jesus's priority was the Father's will. The Father's will has always been to dwell with his people and to be worshiped. So for me, I had a higher priority to do Christian things than the actual desire to dwell with God. So it only made sense that I experienced high levels of panic, anxiety, and insomnia because I was not doing what I was created to do. Through the hard way, I became realigned back to my purpose, going back to the place of intimacy that was sadly forgotten and buried under Christian activities. For me, this darkness that I experienced was a wake-up call from my loving father. 
There is a 16th century Spanish mystic and Roman Catholic named St. John of the Cross, who has a lot of insight of the journey through spiritual darkness. His writings concerning spiritual darkness can bring comfort, especially if you're a Christian who is experiencing anxiety and or depression. John of the Cross makes it clear that this suffering doesn't equate to a lack of faith. In fact, this type of suffering can mean the complete opposite. It can be seen as a divine privilege. Quote, O guiding night, O night more lovely than the dawn, O night that has united the lover with his beloved, transforming the beloved in her lover. End quote. The dark night of the soul can be defined as a necessary process of refining a soul back to its original purpose, which is unity and intimacy with his or her creator. It is necessary suffering towards actual Christ-likeness. A major part of this process towards Christ-likeness and refining of the soul is through detachment and purgation. Okay, so that word purgation is the term that John of the Cross uses over and over and over to describe the process of purification for unity with the divine. It is a word that we don't usually use, but there's really no other word to replace it because this process of purification that St. John of the Cross describes is that of a violent purge or what seems to be a forceful stripping away of everything to a point where nothing else remains. Everything becomes nothing. Like I described in my last episode, I was in a place of severe darkness where God was silent, and there I felt as if there was no hope. I could finally listen to the cry of my starving soul since all the distractions have been removed, and I was in a place of desperation. It was as if God was saying to me, you thought you were so important because you kept yourself busy with Christian programs throughout Tijuana, Kauai, and Malawi. You thought you were doing all the right Christian things because you sang worship songs and preached the gospel and stayed busy. But when will you ever consider to fulfill the purpose of which I created you to do? When will you worship me with intimacy? When will you have the greatest desire to just be present with me? A.W. Tozer wrote an excellent book titled The Pursuit of God, where he talks about how the presence of God is the central fact of Christianity and how the self, including all the Christian programs, can be a major hindrance to that presence. Tozer believes that our self can be the very thing that keeps us outside of the tabernacle and that we must do the work of renouncing that self. He said, our self is the veil that hides the face of God from us. Did you know that the word personality comes from the Greek word persona, which means mask? Here's a quote from theologian Thomas Merton. Quote, Every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self, and such a self cannot help but be an illusion. We are not very good at recognizing illusions, least of all the ones we cherish about ourselves, the ones we are born with, and which feed the roots of sin. For most of the people in the world, there is no greater subject reality than this false self of theirs, which cannot exist. A life devoted to the cult of this shadow is what is called a life of sin. End quote. I think as Christians, we do a lot of avoiding sin and a lot of Christianese stuff. But a major theme that seems more important to Jesus is the act of dying to that self. 
whether that self is good or bad. And of course, Tozer and Merton is referring to the words of Jesus, who said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In fact, Jesus goes so far to say, whoever does not die to self cannot be my disciple. Sometimes we just think that Jesus is referring to the part of ourselves that is evil, but the Greek word has nothing to do with evil here. It refers directly to one's entire self. I believe it is very important that we don't turn a Christian lifestyle into a false idol or that the emphasis becomes about religious duties instead of the pursuit of God. Otherwise, we risk being a modern day Pharisee. It is important that we die to ourselves so that we are able to worship God fully at an intimate level. One of the ways we are able to distinguish these illusions of false self is spending time with God in the sacred and secret place. Henry Nowen says this, quote, Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be enlarged in the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered into this furnace. There he was tempted with the three compulsions of the world to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. There he affirmed God as the only source of his identity. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. The struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. End quote. When I was going through this season of crippling anxiety, panic, and insomnia, I spoke to a few mental health professionals and many who have gone through similar situations, and almost all of them emphasize the importance of stillness and breathing. And that has been the most effective tool during the five months of struggling. I never would have guessed that a simple act of stillness and breathing could move me from a state of what felt like insanity to calm, peace, and normalcy. But during those five months, stillness and breathing became something so much more. I truly believe this darkness was God's doing because in the darkness, I developed a practice that would drive me into deep, deep levels of intimacy with God, which for me now, the only thing that I want to do is to worship God. My priority has once again become about worshiping God with my all. So a tool that I received from psychologists to calm my panic and anxiety became the doorway into the tabernacle of the Holy of Holies. And although I no longer deal with crippling anxiety, panic, or insomnia, I practice this stillness daily because it allows me to remove all distractions and desires in order for me to be completely present with God. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the word breath in Hebrew and Greek is also the word for spirit, as in the person of the Trinity. The Hebrew word for breath and spirit is this word ruach, which is used dozens of times throughout the Old Testament to describe the mysterious power and life force that comes from God. It can also be connected to the spirit of Yahweh, aka the Holy Spirit. In the pulpit commentary of Genesis, it describes how Adam was formed but wasn't alive until this ruah or the breath of God entered into his being. Quote, man received his life from a distinct act of divine inbreathing, certainly not an inbreathing of atmospheric air, but an inflatus from ruah Elohim or spirit of God, a communication from the whole personality of the Godhead. End quote. So all that to say, there is a powerful and divine source attached to this act of breathing, but there's more. Fast forward from Genesis to the Gospels. Now we are moving from Hebrew words to Greek words, and the Greek word for ruah is pneuma. But for the sake of confusion, I'm going to stick with the Hebrew word ruah. So a few days after Jesus was crucified, the disciples were full of fear and they were hiding behind locked doors. 
Jesus suddenly appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Notice that Jesus did the same thing to his disciples that Yahweh did with Adam in the garden. God blew his spirit into Adam, and Adam came alive. And God blew his spirit into the disciples, and they became alive. But unlike Adam, it took some time for the disciples to truly be alive, because it is recorded that a week after Jesus blew the Holy Spirit into them, they were back in that same room behind locked doors. When Christ appeared to them the second time, some worshipped him, while others still doubted. In Greek, that word doubt doesn't mean unbelief. Rather, it means to be hesitant. Many of the disciples were hesitant to fully engage in worship. They were in doubt of giving their all to Jesus. This part is huge. We cannot miss it. Adam was sinless and knew his purpose, which was to worship God. As for the disciples, they were unaware of that purpose, and so they were hesitant to worship. It took them some time to discover the reason why Jesus was actually crucified and raised from the dead so that they could receive the Holy Spirit, so that they could worship God with their everything. But once they made that connection, once they became aware that their purpose was to worship God, they became completely sold out for Jesus to the point of being killed for this purpose, including many others as well. So what happened? What allowed them to recognize their sole purpose, which is to worship God? So scriptures point out that it is impossible for us to pray and worship God without the help of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that intercedes for us so that we are able to pray to God. And as for worship, Jesus said true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So it is throughout the help of the Holy Spirit that we can fulfill the sole purpose of our creation, which is to worship. Before we can worship or do any Christian activities, we must get to know who this God is. Above all, I believe knowing God at an intimate level holds the highest importance in this Christian tradition because that's the base where everything flows. It is written in 2 Peter that, quote, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him, end quote. And the knowledge that is expressed here isn't information or knowing about God. Rather, it is about a relationship of actually knowing God an intimate and personal encounter. And I love what Paul has to say, quote, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ, end quote. Do you remember what I said in the beginning, how everything is rubbish in comparison to intimately knowing Christ? If that intimacy is lacking, then nothing you do for Jesus will ever matter in the end. I mean, Jesus made it really clear. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Many will say to me, Haven't I prophesied in your name? Haven't I casted out demons in your name? Haven't I done many wonders in your name? Haven't I done all the good Christian deeds? I was such a good Christian. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Of course, I added the last part to make a point, but it's not about what we do as Christians. It's about who we know at an intimate level that drives us into worship. No wonder I've experienced crippling anxiety, panic, and insomnia because I wasn't doing what I was designed to do. I made my life about being a good Christian with good Christian deeds, while the main priority of knowing God at an intimate level and worship was neglected. The reason I was created was to worship God. The Christian stuff, the missionary stuff, is all rubbish if I am not aligned to that sole purpose. 
I am thankful for this dark night of the soul because it forced me to realize that the only relief was found in intimacy. And so I made worship the priority once again. But as you know, I'm still a Christian doing Christian things because we are meant to go out and establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. But all that should come out of a state of intimacy and worship. We are told to do everything to the glory of God. And that is only possible when done from a state of worship. Out of worship, everything you do can be considered holy and pleasing to the Lord. Your intimate worship flows from a secret place to public spaces or from internal worship to external worship with everything that you do. That seems a bit impossible though. Like it seems a lot easier to be alone in your room worshiping God, but to do it throughout your entire day. But I think that's why it's important that we start at Jesus's example of his priority to withdraw to lonely places to deepen his relationship with God. It's in that space that we are able to be intimate with God. And in doing so, we develop the mindset with a soul desire to worship God in every aspect of our lives. We are then compelled to do everything that gives God glory. We cannot help ourselves but worship God in everything that we do because we are head over heels in love. When we are intimately in love with God, we will be empowered and compelled to do His will. I wish I could say that this is how I am every second of my life, but that's obviously not true. Throughout the day, I, I forget the importance of my existence. I get distracted from my purpose to give God glory in everything I do. All right, so let's go back to breathing and the word ruah. This has been my biggest reminder of the purpose of which I was created. Ruah makes me become aware of ruah. In other words, breath makes me become aware of the spirit of Yahweh. And when I am aware of God's presence, I am able to worship him. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us and gives us the ability to connect with God. And I believe this little act of breathing is his constant reminder to become aware of the divine. I love this habit that I created for myself of connecting my breath to the awareness of the Holy Spirit. There are so many moments throughout the day where I take a breath and I am reminded of the Ruah or the Holy Spirit that is dwelling within me. And that awareness of God's presence changes everything. Because when I become aware of God's presence, I can't help myself but to worship Him in that very moment. I could be washing dishes and all of a sudden I'm reminded of God's presence. And then that act of washing dishes becomes worship because I am so grateful just to be a child of the Most High. So today, uh, my car is broken and I had to ride my bike in 110 degrees to do outreach at the local prison. And to be honest, believe it or not, I am not, al I am not always excited to do missionary stuff in 110 degrees while riding a bike. Yes, I do complain sometimes, but I did not complain a single time today <laughs> because I was worshiping God the entire time, which started with the simple act of recognizing that the spirit was present within me for me to do my purpose, which isn't to do prison ministry, but rather to worship God in my every waking moment. Prison ministry was secondary to the act of worship. So when the priority is worship, no matter what you do, will bring joy and peace and goodness because you're finding your joy and your strength in the intimate place of worship. So now it only makes sense that I no longer deal with crippling anxiety, panic, and insomnia because I have realigned my life back to God's purpose for creating me, which is to worship Him. And I take so much joy in doing that. I am beginning to understand what it means for God to give me the desires of my heart if I seek him completely. All right, so I'm going to end with these three challenges. Since you started this episode, you've taken around 200 breaths. Today, while awake, you'll take over 10,000 breaths. What would your life look like if you created a habit 
to connect your breath to the awareness of the Holy Spirit that is within you. The second challenge is practicing stillness. Try and take 20 minutes out of your day to sit in complete stillness of letting everything go in order to hear from the Holy Spirit. I do this two, sometimes three times a day, and it is just such a practice that I am so devoted to because there's so much goodness that comes from this. And the third challenge, which is my favorite and I think the most important of the three, is to seek God in your inner room with the doors closed. For me, this looks like spending up to an hour on my face in just praise and worship, which usually leads to tears of joy and intense intimacy. Sometimes I'm so caught up in God's presence that I'm unable to get off the floor. There are so many other practices or spiritual disciplines or things you can do to grow deeper into intimacy and realigning your purpose back to the worship of God. Um, those are just a few. But thank you so much for listening. Sorry if it was a ton of information. Again, this is just kind of like a summary of things that I've been learning lately. Um, I just hope that you got something that would inspire you to go into deeper levels of intimacy with the lover of your soul. Also, I can track uh, the countries that listen to my podcast. And there are a few listeners from Saudi Arabia. And I just want to say to you guys or to that single person that listens to uh, several episodes, I just want to say that God bless you and may God keep you safe and that may God give you everything that you need in this journey. May the Holy Spirit just cover you in Jesus name. All right. See you guys all next week or next time.